What is up, Internet? Get some. My name is Matthew Kroll. And you don't choose your avatar. Your avatar chooses you. My name is Sheher Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Avatar. What year are we talking about here? We're talking about 2009. We're talking about M. Night Shyamalan. We're talking about the TV show. What are we doing? We're talking about 2009's uh, film that broke the collective brains for one hot minute. Also, I don't remember your quote in the movie, but I'm sure it's there. I don't know. I Googled it, so I'm just going to presume it's there. Uh, Let's go with it. Uh, uh, maybe maybe that's one of those made-up quotes as well. <laughs> like, you know, like where the people name-drop the movie for no reason? Let's go well, back to like, the Avatar. <laughs> I, well, I think because, like, that's intrinsically not true. Like, in the in the plot of the movie, like, you don't choose your Avatar, your Avatar chooses you. That's not... That's, That's not, not anything that. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> I got avatar quotes. Let me just pull this one up because we yeah, are no, starting see- on the best of feet. If 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 I'm just making up shit right away. Well, while while you look that up, we were we were uh, excited to talk about Avatar with obviously uh, the the sequel coming out soon, and uh, it was Shahir's idea to revisit. And then we were doubly excited because they were re-releasing it with all a bunch of extra goodies. They were doing it in uh, true 4K, and they had a bunch of new audio mixes and some color grading and a bunch of fun stuff. And then neither of us had time <laughs> to go see it, so we rented it on Apple for three ninety nine. And we watched the original uh, 2009 version. I don't think it's the extended cut. I don't know. Uh, I, I did. I, so so while, yes, we didn't do the, the requisite homework of seeing this in a movie theater, which would be the impetus to see this in the wake of the way of the water. Is that what it's called? The, the way of water? Yep. Um, uh, I did. I don't know why. I, I, I was like, you know what? I'm going all in. I purchased the $20 version on Apple TV, and I now own it because it comes with a lot of extra features. And I was like, you know, I kind of want to see all these extra features. And this is a movie whose extra features I would be interested in, um, as well as the extended director's cut, which I also watched. Okay, so so, but it's still the 2K version. It's not the updated 4K version. Oh, of course not. No, no. <laughs> right, um, right. Um, but uh, I was I was happy to do that, and I uh, there's some fun stuff in there. So I think we're gonna have an interesting conversation about Avatar again. The movie, famously uh, the biggest movie with no cultural footprint, as I believe the article from Vice or the Atlantic or wherever it came from in the last few years. And we'll talk about it in the wake of uh, the, the 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 new movie that's going to be coming out soon. The cultural footprint thing is interesting because it's both. Both true and absolutely not true. Yeah, I think it's a beautiful headline that has gone misinterpreted. And then there's this interesting thing that's happened over the last few years, maybe the last two years, which is that there's this revisionist history about Avatar that's happening right now, uh, which I'm very curious about. So we should talk about that. Revisionist history in cinema? Yeah, in cinema. No. Well, I'm sorry, I cut you off before. You were going to introduce our email. Yes, just our one friendly neighborhood email, which was from Kellen, uh, talking to us about the movie Blonde, which we, of course, discussed last week with uh, a special uh, voicemail in from Izzy from BK Rewind. By the way, I think we this is one of our most uh, downloaded episodes in a while. Uh, Morgan Fairchild, I don't know if you remember the actress Morgan Fairchild, liked one of our tweets about the movie well, Blonde. That's <laughs> lovely. Also, this is 
also a review of Blonde, by the way. If you remember, <laughs> yeah. canonically, we only review Blonde we only now. Only review Blonde. Uh, from uh, now on. So <laughs> hopefully, this email kicks off our review of Blonde very nicely. Uh, well, uh, Kelly, Kellen writes, "Hope you're both doing well. I'm glad you were finally able to review Blonde after what felt like <laughs> months of buildup, but it was worth the wait." Well, it I, was three weeks. <laughs> well, I agree with Shahir that there's artistic merit and something worth exploring discussing the film. I also agree with Matt that it felt too much. Uh, uh, it felt like too much and pretty unstable throughout. It was honestly one of the most difficult movies I've sat through in a very long time, but it also made me start thinking about other biopics that take historical liberties. The two that came to mind right away were my, two of my all-time favorites, Schindler's List and Amadeus, both by acclaimed master directors, both swept the Oscars, both are true stories based on dramatized works. The similarities go on. Like Blonde, I think both of those are very stylizing. It also be a tough watch at times, but they also don't lose the plot nor focus on only the suffering. The Holocaust is undeniably, undoubtedly more tragic than Mozart dying young, but even Schindler had some human moments of levity, something I personally never saw or felt once in Blonde. Just out of curiosity, are there any dramatized biopics that either of you really like? Or is there a person that you think of would make a great subject for a stylized biopic like this? Thank as always, wow. thank you as always for the great discussions and insight. Oh, man. Well... I'm trying to think. I'm trying to go back in my in my brain, and weirdly enough, it's not a biopic. Okay, but it kind of is. Yeah, and I need to go rewatch it because I have this 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 footprint in my memory of seeing this film and then watching it over and over and over again when I was young. Okay, and being really into it, and then researching the person that it was based on, and of course, it's not accurate, but like it's the story because of it's a certain type of thing. And that film is a Braveheart. Is the no, no. the Madonna Antonio Banderas oh, vehicle, Avida. Avida. Uh, but it's the musical, it, so I mean, that's I sort know. Of a so I, thing. there's an extra layer here, yeah. so it's kind of cheating. Yeah. But I had never seen the musical. I I I saw the film before I knew the. I mean, I knew at, as when the movie was released, like, oh, this is based on a musical. But I never saw that musical. I think I do want to go back and rewatch Evita. Okay. Um. <laughs> Uh, but but again, like I I completely understand the historical inaccuracies and all that stuff. Because but it's also through a secondary lens. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another historical figure. Well, I'd like to see. Um, I'd like to see sort of a version of. Yeah. Like in in a good, in a good. Um, you know, in in in, in, in treated well, right? Like that's kind of what I would want to want to see. Oh, there was a. We were doing some civil civil war research, and I got to find this abolitionist. Okay, this dude. Oh, who not just the one like, that was recently played by Ethan Hawke. Uh, oh, I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he straight up like murked uh, a bunch of slave owners, uh, and then he's called the press in. Okay. <laughs> I got to find this dude's name. I feel so bad. History buffs, email us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail It's in one of my trillions of tabs. I'll find it before you get to me. Uh, was she here? What about you? Uh, so my favorite biopic of all time, um, no surprises here, is um, uh, Malcolm X by Spike Lee, uh, which I think um, probably fits the mold of of what Callan's talking about in terms of like Schindler's List. It actually is a fairly accurate. Uh, representation of what happened to Malcolm X, um, as well as being quite highly stylized. Uh, it's a film that, you know, like, I saw it at the exact right time in my life, and it and it it made me interested in Malcolm X and the issues that he was actually uh, dealing with. Uh, it has this amazing sequence where basically... 
uh, Malcolm X goes to uh, is in prison and he is given a dictionary and told to, that one of his tasks is to write out every word in the dictionary to see how biases play out. And this was a really formative thing for me because he basically at the start they look at what black means and they look at what white means and how those two things are portrayed differently. You know when he thinks about white princesses versus black uh, black mm-hmm. people, uh, it's a really amazing thing. And I and like <laughs> the most amazing thing for me was like I did that after I watched that movie, which is that I went to the dictionary and I pulled it out and I was like, holy shit. This is the way it's written. Um, so that was kind of an amazing thing for me. The In terms of stylization... Um there's a documentary, uh, uh, sorry, not a documentary, a feature film by the by John Mabry about the painter Francis Bacon called Love is the Devil, a portrait of uh, Francis Bacon, which I believe has Daniel Craig in it. Um, and it really goes, in that case, the stylization also really works because they work to kind of make the film look and feel like uh, Francis Bacon's uh, uh, painting. So it's a really beautiful documentary, uh, um, film, uh, not one that I would like rush out and you must see kind of thing but one that i actually maybe fits the mold of what kellen is asking about which is document um document why do i keep saying documentaries uh fiction films uh that uh take a person's life and stylize it and 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 play with it but for good measure there because that is the work of an artist particularly a visual artist um so i think that that sort of sensibility actually works really well there um you know thinking about maybe you know in the similar vein the 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 uh the uh biopic about uh jean-michel basquiat uh, basquiat guess basquiat um i think is a really interesting one and then you know uh i always think um Todd Haynes's documentary. I'm not uh, Todd Haynes's biopic. I'm not there about. Uh, I, I think you. I, I, think I might be having a stroke. Just, I might be having. Yeah, a stroke. I don't yeah. know what it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about Bob Dylan, uh, I think is a really fantastic uh, biopic as well. Um, well, well, you don't pick your biopic. Your biopic pick, picks, picks you. you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kellen, for emailing us in. As always, thanks, Kellen. Email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Documentary. I'm just going to throw one more in there. Just yeah, documentary. Hey, Shahir, <laughs> I want to. I want to. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to take you back in time. I'm going to take you back in time to the magical world that was 2009. Obama was just inaugurated. Oof. Um, wow, that uh, was a long time ago. Kanye was going to let Taylor finish. Yeah. Uh, and and Michael Jackson passed away. Oh, wow. Uh, what else happened? Farmville was launched. That was a big one. <laughs> um, and of course, of course, on December 18th, 2009, Avatar by director James Cameron was released. I think gestating in James Cameron's mind for some... 15 years at that point uh, at a minimum but possibly longer than that as well he uh cameron of course uh was was coming off the wild hot heels of success of uh at titanic some 10 years earlier uh mm-hmm. or even longer than that um you know with his hotly anticipated uh follow-up which didn't which took a long time to actually gestate and produce but Pandora uh at the time the film was called project 880 i think it might have just been called pandora at one point uh in 1995 cameron wrote a scriptment for uh, Avatar, but unfortunately the technology was not in a place where he felt it would be feasible to make uh, until much later on. And I believe in a, in a sort of fortuitous uh, way of uh, cross-influence, uh, though Cameron was working on uh, motion capture technology on his own, it was seeing Peter Jackson's uh, um, The Two Towers with uh, the character animation of Gollum, which I mm-hmm. think finally convinced uh, Cameron that this was the time to do Avatar. Uh, and that, and I, I think that's a that's 
just a beautiful uh, piece of synchronicity because J- uh, Peter Jackson himself was so influenced by uh, James Cameron's t- t- Terminator 2, yep. which is what gave him the compulsion, the, the belief that he could make special effects movies like The Frighteners, King Kong, and of course, The Lord of the Rings. So hey, wonderful listen, they say you there. don't own energy, you just borrow it. Yeah, you know? exactly. For short periods of time. And in this case, uh, brought James Cameron to, to New Zealand, where I think he still has a home. A friend of mine was actually his driver for a while. Uh, I'm not sure if he still is, but uh, I have heard many a story about what it is like to work with the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Mr. James Cameron. <laughs> um, so, of course, this came with a lot of fanfare because this is, again, from the guy who had directed the biggest blockbuster uh, of all time, winning many, many awards uh, a la um, Gone with the Wind, uh, sweeping the both the, the blockbusters and the Academy Awards. Matt, when you saw Avatar, how old were you and what was running through your mind? I mean, I was redacted years old, Shahir, and I uh, was in, no, I was out of college, of course, 2009. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I went and saw it, I think, in Pennsylvania with an ex-girlfriend uh, when I was staying at her and her family's place out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went, and I think it might have been the first film I saw in 3D. Okay. Like uh, it, it was touted uh, as a as a major leap forward for 3D. It was the one that it was the bellwether. Yeah, and I remember seeing it and uh, being blown away by the visuals. Of course, mm-hmm. um, however, nothing else really stuck with me. Uh, and then in the wake of it, you know, the year or two or whatever, as we talked about uh, last episode and a couple other times elsewhere, like people do love just tearing stuff down. Uh, it became memeable to sort of like hate on Avatar a bit because of its lack of cultural uh, <laughs> uh, footprint, as it were. Uh, and again, I, I think I want to fight back on that a little bit. Um, and then Avatar, because the sequels, which were announced like a year after this came out, uh, were consistently pushed back until checks watch uh, now. Uh, it was just always kind of like, a, what the heck's going on with Avatar? I remember... I do remember being at the same time being in awe and being bored. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that this entire movie is boring by any means. It is absolutely not. Uh, but there, uh, it is a long film. Yeah. Uh, and uh, even in the, on this rewatch, and I'll sort of get to it, I still have some questions as to why it was as long as it was. Um, but... Uh, overall, I had a positive experience at the theater. It was one of those, um, f- you know, uh, a- another moment of like, oh shit, film can do this too. Mm. And and it's it was kind of interesting because I was in obviously very into video games then as I am now. Um, and I think uh, seeing this film got me excited about like digital characters in the way that games had in the past. And I was like, oh, so now this is going to start being a thing here too. And, and, and it was, um, yeah, I don't know. Sheer, what about you? Were you, where were you in, in 2009? Uh, I was in New Zealand at the time. And I, uh, again, as I mentioned, I recall a lot of people I know working on the, on the films. Um, so I, I actually, I think my first screening of it was, uh, a cast, uh, a, sorry, a crew screening, um, in Wellington. And, you know, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before where, the uh, the film 
cut basically the whole film rolled and everyone in the audience were people who had spent the last four or five years working on the movie and Mm -hmm. then it basically the the title credit came up and said avatar directed written and directed by james cameron then it cut to black and they ushered everybody out so all these people who had like worked on this film just kind of like uh okay um my you know we've talked about james cameron on this podcast in relation to uh terminator 2 um and true lies and we we haven't done a have we not done true lies? lies no we haven't done a true lies review we've talked about true Whoa. lies certainly because that's one of the that's one of the james cameron movies i do not like uh off Whoa. the bat um i do not think it holds up i fucking loved true lies yeah no it was uh not for me Um, but, uh, you know, obviously we are huge fans of Terminator 2, huge fans Mm -hmm. of the Abyss. Well, I'm a huge fan of the Abyss. I think Titanic is, uh, is excellent. Titanic is wonderful. Yeah. Titanic. Uh, I, I had, I had, I will admit it freely, uh, the two VHS set of Titanic. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you had to, you know, actually <laughs> take one out and put the other one in back in the day when media came on (laughs) physical objects. Yep. Um, yeah, no, Titanic's dope. Uh, and of course, uh, we uh, also actually have talked about this movie on the podcast, which was Aliens. Uh, if you go back, uh, Timor Savan and Nigel Stanford were on that episode. Uh, really mm-hmm. amazing movie. And so there's no denying uh, James Cameron, as he sort of so sort of triumphantly declared at his Oscar win, is the king of the world in terms of box office clout. Um, you know, like not many movies have crossed the threshold uh, in the way that James Cameron has. Now, I think it's an interesting thing to revisit this film right now because yes. there's an interesting thing that's happened since um since uh, avatar came out since this documentary came out. since this documentary avatar came out um which is that there has been something in the vicinity of 27 marvel movies in that time uh, a couple of spider-man reboots remember of course that james cameron at one point was attached to writing and directing spider-man in, in its uh, entirety um the entire film industry has transformed since the point this came out um you know it was, it was on the precipice of it already in 2008 uh, uh, Iron Man and The Dark Knight had come out, uh, both signaling uh, in equal measures uh, box office dominance by the superhero genre and also cultural significance by the superhero genre. Um, and in many ways, Avatar Lift, uh, though though was the highest grossing film of all time until, of course, now there's almost a weekly, <laughs> almost a weekly or monthly recurrence of that record being broken. Yeah. Uh, I think Avengers, I think Avengers beat Avatar. A- the Avengers beat Avatar, and I believe Infinity Game beat Avatar now, but then Avatar's re-release actually may have brought it back up again, <laughs> which is a... Wait, in- Infinity Game, the documentary? <laughs> the Infinity Game documentary, yes, Infinity Game documentary. Um... I, I am having a stroke, by the way. I, it's I okay, buddy. We're going to get just, through this. Just, just so we lay it out there. I literally ran from uh, three back-to-back calls and then ran over into this meeting. So I feel like this is like almost like another call at this point. It is. Well, it is another call. We're technically on a call. It's just a call that everyone listens to after we put it on the internet. We do record it and place it on the internet, which is fun. Yeah. Um, so now... When I went and saw Avatar, of course, there were a couple of things very highly touted. One is the use of motion capture technology as James Cameron had envisioned it. The second was the use of 3D as James Cameron had envisioned it. Um, the third was, of course, the the sort of heavily science-influenced 
visual palette of the film. Um, Pandora is, uh, in many ways, uh, I think it's one of its key features is the use of bioluminescence, uh, mm-hmm. the idea that uh, the an alien planet with a different uh, atmosphere to ours would develop light and colors in a, in a more vibrant way and also have more uh, bioluminescence in it. Now, the... The lack of cultural significance to this movie, or the cultural touch points to this movie, often mocks the movie for a couple of things. And uh, I did a thing on Twitter this week, which was that I didn't, I didn't announce which movie we were going to do. I simply put up four clues, and uh, based on kind of the cultural uh, mocking points of the movie, to see if mm-hmm. people could guess it. And one or two people actually did guess it. But I put up a picture of Dances with Wolves. A picture of uh, Sully from, from Tom Hanks's movie Sully. Oh. I put up a picture of a USB cable, and I put up a picture of Cat People, um, just to kind of uh, highlight what the movie was that we were going to be talking about this week. Um, and people seem to get it, especially the Dance of the Wolf reference. Uh, Dance of the Wolf meets Pocahontas was kind of the the running or gag. meets Fern Gully uh, or Fern Gully, sort of, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, my feeling about the film at the time was like you, visually jaw-dropping you know visually stunning and again the the sort of the mythology that goes around a film like this with you know this idea that james cameron had dreamt this up uh um probably influenced by uh edgar edgar burroughs and you know um his also his sort of academic interest in uh diving and exploration you know he made several documentaries between titanic and this uh that were pretty much based on his diving experience which he is of course um a world-renowned diver Uh, i think at some point he also helped nasa with some of their exploration vehicles as well he's that kind of guy um so you know we we love me some james cameron hard science story-wise however uh there was a feeling at the time and and i i feel like that feeling has somewhat been forgotten or or is being revised now because in the wake of the way the industry has turned out and you know maybe getting prepared for uh, avatar 2 was that the the movie is pretty clunky when it comes to actual storytelling um the dialogue is painful it's the the first i i I think it evens out by the end of the towards the end of the film but there's less dialogue by the end of the film and it's when people aren't talking that much but the first hour of this movie is literally and, and you've got actresses like you know sigourney weaver and giovanna rubisi who's excellent like delivering lines of exposition to each other as though they've you know they're they're reading the lines for the first time and it's not it is not their fault uh, because they are incredibly skilled actors um, but there is this sense to it which is that the movie is just doing a major exposition dump in the at the very beginning where which is really inelegant now if you think about the first few minutes of Terminator 2 if you think about the first few minutes of the abyss you know in the way in which we get the sense that these are real people, you know, like having, you know, Ed Harris in the abyss um, is is this amazingly flawed human being having these really difficult conversations about his impending divorce and his ex-wife. Um, there's none of that at the beginning of Avatar, though there is this really complicated thing, which I think a lot of people have forgotten, is the business of trying to get Jake Sully into the Avatar suit or into the Avatar program, which is that... Mm-hmm. 
He is a twin brother of a scientist, but is a jarhead with um, uh, who has had uh, his legs, uh, the use of his legs taken away from him through the war. And then he is then imported into the Avatar program because he is an exact DNA match for the Avatars themselves uh, who are grown genetically to match their hosts. And I was like that's a that's a probably a movie unto itself but it is just like the and it and it's just like it's a really strange thing because it's like the film is doing so much for little kind of effect to the actual narrative thrust of the film like so it's funny the movie itself and and the world that i feel like james cameron is trying to build is obsessed with specificity and 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 obsessed with um sort of scientific i won't say like correctness but almost like relevance if you see a screen that does something it probably looks like it's built to look it's built in the visual aspect of it to serve the function of what that screen would be in the real world right uh and there's tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of care that is taken yeah. uh, in in the world building of this film. And it's interesting. At first, I, I, I when I, when the dialogue was so goddamn clunky, like they're like the two government goons, like at <laughs> like there's one scene that encompasses Jake uh, Sully or Sully getting um, uh, getting recruited, and there's these two like like goon like government yeah, goons. Yeah, yeah. Talking at good. him about about the money being good while his brother is being incinerated in a cardboard box, yeah. and it's like it's all happening at the same time because I have no time to get into the shit. Yeah, it's I'm like okay, whatever. At first, I was like, man, maybe James Cameron just can't write. Maybe he's an no, excellent director. But but then I, I go back and I was like, wait, how many of his movies did he write? And it's like, it's a That's decent all of them. amount of And them. he's a great writer. I mean, he's even won going screenplay writing uh, before. Even back to The Abyss, like, it's it's really, yeah. really great. So I was like, okay, so what is it here? What is it? What, why does this feel like a wet, like a wet cardboard tube when it comes to dialogue? And I think it is literally because... He was so excited about finally getting this script and being able to do this technological advancement uh, in cinema. Like you only have a human being only has so much attention they can give a thing. Mm. And I think at a certain point, because the movie has to be the movie and the movie is a technological leap forward, you just got to go. It it felt this felt like. The dialogue felt very first drafty. Yeah, it, there is a there's a first draft quality to it, and there's a like a a real sense of a a lack of um, a lack of depth to the interactions. Not not to say that they're not they're perfectly functional. Like the information that is required to be conveyed is is conveyed. But think about you know the opening of this movie really is about a guy. And, you know, like finding out his twin brother is dead. And and that fact is of little to no consequence for the rest of the movie. It yeah. is it is such this sort of like major detail that has no importance whatsoever. And it again, it's doing a lot of work to get Jake into the body of the Avatar. And it feels really unnecessary like it right it's like surely we can just get jake into the like surely there can just be a conversation about we need a grunt to go with us you know like and that's what he is like 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 do we need to like you know put this whole i'm sure it i'm sure 
Cameron probably was reverse engineering it from a character point of view, being like, well, he's got to be new to the world. He's got to be new to the program. He's got to be naive. He's not to the ready. Program. He's thrown into it. Yeah. He needs to be a, a fresh babe so that then when he goes in, he is a blank canvas and then uh, yeah. the, the, the folks on Pandora can affect him in that way. Yeah. The, I mean, for sure. Yeah. And there's also this kind of like, again, sort of persistent idea that happens through James Cameron's work. You know, you look at the Terminator, but this sort of chosen one mythology that happens through this movie as well, where he is like, he is somehow bestowed upon, he has been, he has been brought to Pandora and there is some, something special about this guy, despite being kind of a grunt. Um, you know, what's funny though. I actually didn't think that there was anything. I, I, it's interesting. I, you do get that sort of thing in a lot of James Cameron's work. I don't, ever get that Sully is special. What about when the uh, the special dandelions land on him, which is what uh, causes Nateri to like not so this is Nateri this to is, like like decide yeah. that he is like there's something about this guy. Sure, but the thing is, hmm, how do I put this? It doesn't read to me as Jake is special because that happens in the body of the Avatar. Yeah, the Avatar is grown like it's a it's a it's a meat puppet. And like and 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 like I get look and 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 this all makes sense in I'm not saying that like the reason that it's faded and everything doesn't make sense in the way in the story arc of the film it absolutely does of course by the end because, by the end of the movie when he kind of takes over the tribe yeah <laughs> and the, the the whole thing is about like the the planet's uh, ecology is actually a neural network and like there's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of really cool concepts that like all make sense as to why this is like why that can go but I'm saying from an emotional resonance standpoint I and maybe maybe I'm alone in this I never feel like Jake Sully the human and Jake Sully the avatar are like kind of the same dude. Huh. Like I know I know in the story they are, yeah. but emotionally I am not like even when there's like moments where it's like they're shuffling quickly and you see it very actively and like the wake up huh. and like whatever. Like I mechanically I understand what's going on. I'm not that much of a dummy, hmm. but I've never gotten the emotional resonance of those two people being the same person. Huh. And that's, I don't know strange. why that is, yeah. Uh, I, maybe my 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 avatar rig is is off. It's not in sync. Side note: I love that they don't ever explain how the avatar rigs work. Like <laughs> everything else is so like. Yeah. And the reason why that the reason why not explaining that I think works in a film like this is because so much detail is given to all of the tech. You can visually see how things are moving and putting together, etc. That when that happens, you're just like, oh yeah, because they're in the tube. Well, the, like the f- it, it, like it all, it sets you up to believe. <laughs> the hilarity then, of that is, of course, yeah. the way in which the comic villainness of Giovanni Ribisi and Stephen Lang's character, who, when Sigourney Weaver says to them, there is this neural network that has like one to the twelfth power of connections, and it is all alive, and there is more here than we see. And Giovanni Ribisi is like, "What the hell have you guys been doing out here?" I was like, "Did you not see?" the neural avatar link that your scientists created between a Navi and a human being that is entirely remotely operated and like pretty much is magic at this point. Like he's like, ah, scientist, ah, fuck him. You know, like well, it's funny it's so because stupid. This, 
<laughs> this movie is all broad strokes. Yeah. Like, it, and, and, and the broad strokes work, again, I feel like because the visualizations and the yeah. specificity in the world that the broad strokes are being presented in. Like, like, unobtainium. Uh, look, let's talk about unobtainium. unobtainium. Sure, sure, sure. But like, it's corporate greed run amok, like, but like the dumbest, silliest corporate greed. Got it. Not yeah. saying it doesn't exist, just this is the dumbest, silliest version of it. Well, There's military industrial complex, yep. the dumbest, silliest version of it. Like, and, 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 I, and I want to just point yeah. out a couple of things here in terms of what you, the two things that you just said, which is the, yeah. the, the, the thing that's challenging about when you watch this movie as someone who's followed Cameron's work is the corporate greed story, for example, is, is basically the same character as Paul Reiser from Aliens. But, yes. but Paul Reiser in Aliens is a fully fleshed out, interesting character whose weakness leads him through corporate greed and is like, there's a compelling narrative around him. The military-industrial sure. complex is the same story in a way as Michael Biehn's character from The Abyss. You know, it's, it's like, it's a really similar stroke to that story, but again, done with a level of care and depth in that film, which is just not on display here at well, all. Because well, here, because here, Cameron ain't got time for that. <laughs> like, that's not what this is the point of this is. Maybe it's just because he's also done it before and he's like, well, look, uh, the shorthand is corporate greed makes sense and therefore, ergo, here we go. Exactly. I, I think there was just this other quality to this film that I, I just sort of watched it from this point of view because obviously part of the design is like, look, they're aliens, they're not like us, so, you know, it, it, they have different rituals. But of course, the design... Um, is heavily influenced uh, by indigenous tribes, um, no least yeah. New Zealand, uh, Native American, um, and and there is just something about this film when I watched it, and I, I you know it did get accused of this of, at the time as well, but I think as I watch it again, I'm sort of like yeah, I, I I don't disagree with this comment, but like my thing was as I watched it, I was like the audacity of Jake Sully. <laughs> This fucking guy, Jake yeah. Sully, this fucking grunt just wanders in into like the Avatar, into a multi-million dollar situation where he is he is given the body of an alien life form and uses and treats it like he is the you know he's just like well whatever man I'll just kind of do this thing and then meets with Nateri and and gets in you know put into the Navi tribe and for some reason they kind of just go well yeah we'll treat you, you know we'll teach you our ways even though we've seen people like you before we know that you're one of the sky people I, I'm not on, I'm not sure why it happens but they're kind of like yeah we'll just Nateri go go teach him some stuff and then he Plot like convenience. he 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 is revealed to be to betray them like it is it is he tells them directly that he betrayed them you're skipping a part. First, he's the best alien of all the aliens. He's the best alien of the aliens. And then he betrays them and then tells them all that he betrays them. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're all like fine with him they're again. They're all fine about it. They're, they're, like he also then decides that he is going to prove that he, yeah, like you say, he's the best alien because he is the Turok writer, which is uh, something that nobody has done for centuries. And he just kind of like, like in the movie, he just like jumps on that Turok and he's like, well, you know, if the if the last thing you see uh, is the Turok shadow, then it will never be looking up. So he basically just... Just, just jumps on it. USB cords himself into it and is now the Torque Rider. Um, and I was just like, and, and and like, you know, the 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 sort of 
There's an element to this movie that I think is done with a great degree of respect for indigenous cultures. Um, there is obviously this thing that happens in this movie, that which in movies like this, which is that all the Navi are played by people of color. Uh, you know, West Duty plays the the chief who dies, and like the tribe, mm-hmm. like is just let's go. But when Sigourney Weaver dies, the entire tribe gets together to try and like resurrect her. And then, you know, I was yeah. just like, what is happening? Also, also they even they even do Sigourney Weaver's character dirty in the beginning. I I feel like they take care of like trying to make her an interesting scientist yeah. and like have like opinions and stuff like that. And by the middle to end point, she's literally Jake Selly's mom. It's like so- all she does is be like, you got to eat Jake. Yeah, she says eat- that like three yeah. times. And I'm like, what the <laughs> motherfucking shit? I mean, is it, look, if none right of this now. is suggesting to you that, that Jake is the, the central character of his own movie and like, you know, like in his world, he is the central character. That's, that's true. And, and you know, like the audacity of this fucking guy. <laughs> even know? Norm, even Norm, who likes him at first, Norm, then he's like a, pro- then he's a the prodigy. He's a scientist. He's a PhD. He gets pissed. Yeah. He gets pissed for a while. But then there's like one line of dialogue. It's like, even Norm mellowed out. And then like Norm's fine again. And you're <laughs> like, like, what? This is, I was just like, what is happening in the world of this movie? Like, yes, James Cameron, you know, uh, works in the trope, you know, JC to John Connor, you know, of of like the chosen one, the person who is special. But I was just like, man, the 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 sheer audacity, and I, you know, I hate to couch it in these terms, but the audacity of this white man. <laughs> like, well, it's know? funny. Well, it's it's funny when these other sort of chosen one stories. Let's go, John Connor, right? Yeah. John Connor as the chosen one in Terminator One doesn't even exist. So yeah. it's not even about him. In number two, he's a kid and therefore like highly fallible. Like, yeah. like, like it's not that that he's the best kid. Yeah, he's, he's just a kid. Yeah, and that's what's interesting. Yeah, here, fucking Jake Sully bumbles his way <laughs> just to victory way through, through like... and through. <laughs> through. And I'm just like. <laughs> I'm like, oh, are you the the best alien now? <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. Do you have the coolest flying dinosaur? Oh, uh, is everyone just instantly forgive this, you? This woman one of who their... is betrothed to the son of the, uh, uh, you know, to be the next chief of this tribe suddenly is like, I'm in love with you, Jake Sully. I'm in love with you. And then after there's one moment where uh, where that character gets pissed a little bit, but then they're brothers. Yeah, they're brothers again. It's like, <laughs> like, I was like, dude, yeah, every time he, he keeps coming up, up to him and he's like, my brother i was like get the fuck out of here (laughs) he rolled up and like literally took like not not that uh love is a commodity of course but like there was a betrothal there was a political structure in place like he just usurped all that because he was pretending to be the best alien and it was just it's fucking weird and you know the second Um, movie Jake Sully is going to be the leader of the tribe and like and like moving through the world as though it was betrothed. And look, it's there, there's just a thing to it where it just, it, you know, I just can't get past it. Like it just it's very difficult to actually like navigate that with. This. It's, it's really hard. Yeah, it's, it's very really childlike. Hard. It's very childlike. You know, well, it's very it's very fucking European man. Euro colonist centric. It's like, like I, it's, I, I, it's, I think those are like, actually oh. all valid claims against this movie. Like yeah. I rewatched Dances with Wolves uh, just last year. And I will say that despite the kind of similar qualms pushed at it, you know, in terms of the white savior trope and what have you, I think that movie actually has a great deal of respect for the tribes that it's dealing with. And, and also the internal workings of the tribe. And like, there is a sense that, that that um, in in that movie, um, uh, Kevin Costner's character 
has to neg- like isn't just going to come in and take over. He is like he has to negotiate the inner workings of of a of a functional society. Whereas right. in this, like literally, Jake Sully just wanders in and is like kicks the, the door down and is like, "Hey, bro, what's happening?" You know. Uh, and 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 I and I've seen people sort of push back on this and say things like. Um, you know, it, it, it's not the same as that sort of level of like white savior trope because this is a fictitious alien race. I'm like, nah, it's it's the exact same fucking thing except they're blue. Yeah. Like, I, I I can't I can't get behind that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the way the way that the military complex in this movie treats them. I mean, the, the I mean, scene a conversation is about so... being a race traitor at some point, right? Like Stephen Lang is gonna. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and uh, Stephen Lang, like when they're doing the first attack, which I want to talk about the first tree attack because I actually think the only reason that exists is to uh, have Jake Sully be revealed as a liar. Uh, nowhere else in the plot does that need to happen but i'll get to that um he when he when they're doing the first attack on the trees uh and 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 colonel miles uh quaritch or quaritch or whatever i don't fucking know is just like drinking coffee yeah. and like just taking arrows to the dome in the in the shield of the of the glass and he's like well all right first round's on me like just an, an, an insane amount of cruelty was just dished out and this dude does not give a fuck i'm yeah. like what a mustache twirling piece of shit it, there's a weird thing about like the fetishization of like the military complex here which is that like you know like there's this weird like infantile kind of approach to the way in which either Cameron or the way this movie kind of looks at the military as like jarheads, grunts, you know, like, uh, you know, the, the, I think the, the most telling sign for me was like the scene when when uh, the entire science team is escaping. Uh, by the way, my, my co-writer of one of my movies is the guy that gets knocked up by Michelle Rodriguez. Uh, shout out to Kelly Kilgore, uh, who's like the one who, who's like, they're getting steak? That's bullshit. And then Michelle Rodriguez yeah. like knocks him out. Um, there's a lot of New Zealand faces in there, by the way. I think I saw Jason White, uh, Nathan Meister, and Sam Kelly, who may listen to this uh, uh, podcast. There's uh, a lot of folks in this thing. Uh, Laz, I'll... Uh... Alonzo uh, plays the the brother, which is uh, the the brother who gets uh, not usurped the the, 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 <laughs> right, the king yeah. that would be yeah. uh, Sutse. Yeah. Uh, he is Mother's Milk and the Boys. Like there's oh, there a lot go. of there's a lot of like weird connective tissue in this thing. Wish uh, Studi yeah. always brought in to, to like uh, be the consultant on these kinds of, of these kinds of films. Yeah. Um, uh, I I think yeah there is this weird fetishization where it's like and and the scene again was when they're escaping and um, Stephen Lang's character runs out with a complete disregard for the air he doesn't even need the fucking mask you know like he just runs out and starts firing away and then like and when his rifle runs dry he uses his pistol his rifle runs dry he uses his pistol and then like and one of his uh, one of his lieutenants or something like comes out with a mask and he sort of looks at him and goes oh thanks I needed that and it's just like it's just this like weird wanton sort of like fetishization of it although although yes uh, here's the other thing is at the heart of this movie um there is a, a, a you know a critique of colonization there is at the heart of it oh yeah you, you know it's not even the heart i mean i'm gonna spoil avatar for everybody so i hope you're fucking ready uh the navi win yep uh and and that is something that you you don't often see in these stories, and that's how you know it's a science fiction, and that sucks. <laughs> uh, like it's it's. But they but they like, win with the help of Jake Sully, of course. Y- y- yes, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> because it's true. Fuck. Like that's the other thing. They they. they <laughs> but like you do see the colonizers get booted off the colony. 
Yes. Like yes. you do see that at the end. Yeah. And that is a rarity in these stories. Um, but you are correct. That only happens due to goddamn <laughs> fucking bumblefuck Jake, Jake Scully. Um, Sully, whatever the fuck. Uh, I hate him. I don't like his character. <laughs> It's a, you know, and then the other thing that's leveled at this movie, of course, famously, the role of Jake Sully was offered to Matt Damon um, for I think something like a ten percent back end deal on the movie. He would have, or or some ridiculous number, he would have made three three to four hundred million dollars off this movie had he taken it. Um, but but they realized at some point that they didn't need a movie star on this, and I, I'm reminded of. Um, <laughs> Did the uh, script let them know that? <laughs> well, they just got they they were like, look, it's it's fucking James Cameron, man. Uh, you know, like and the budget for this movie was like in the excess of two hundred and fifty million dollars, you know, like so mm-hmm. it was a really high budget movie at the time as well. Um you know, I hope Zoe Saldana got some fucking residuals on this thing. I, I hope she did because the 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 true hero of this movie, both in her performance and the character, although yeah. the character kind of just you know is like oh Jake Sully by the end of it, is Nateri. Like yeah. you can like she is a character that appears on screen and when she delivers her like her kind of uh, monologue at the beginning of like you're like a baby walking through here i'm like there's two things going through my mind is like 100 percent accurate you know you're like a fucking child walking through this world Mm -hmm. but also the second thing is like she delivers a a genuinely affecting performance through the motion capture yes and it's like it is like it is note flawless she is the star of the movie she is the best thing in the movie um you know like her performance is is the moment where the movie actually starts clicking into place is when she appears on screen yeah. Uh, I did, however, notice something else that she was also, and and it, this made me feel weird uh, then, and it kind of makes me feel weird now. She yeah. was also the least clothed person in the movie. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're all looking and, for the nip slips, I guess. But, like, I just... <laughs> well, I mean, Jake is wearing a similar bloin-clothed thing. Right? Sure, I just it's it's a little bit I don't I don't know uh, it, the the way where the camera goes is different. <laughs> Yeah, of course, uh, of course, and of course. it's it, it, it. I don't know. I, I every time I'm like really we're oh, okay, okay. <laughs> do Do you think they should have uh, because, made because uh, Navi Stanford sweater uh, like uh, jerseys no, like oh, like Sigourney oh, yeah, Weaver's character? Thing, has. Yeah, that was very funny. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just like like I, I'm trying to remember. God, it was so long ago. There was someone talking about this, and it was like, um. I don't know if it was like about the or if it was an interview with someone who was like designing the Navi or whatever. They had to be like alien enough, but still like hot. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, I, like and, and like it's just a weird concept. No, it's, in, I don't the, know. In, in the behind the scenes footage, they do talk about this. Like uh, they needed there was this understanding on Cameron's part that he wanted to design creatures or characters that were alien. You know, so they have this cat like figure. They have tails, big ears. Flat, um, flat, flat noses, cat's eyes, and that sort of thing. But they also had to be, in Cameron's word, from and Cameron is a really good designer. Yeah. Um, you know, great, good art, great artist, good, um, really thoughtful designer. You know, sort of has similarities to Guillermo del Toro in that respect as well. Um, but he was like, but 
it's an audience you know the they are also the audience avatars and and they need to feel it they need to have enough human characteristics so that we don't <laughs> they need to be fuckable they need to be fuckable they don't i mean james cameron is of course the person who uh i think famously sat on a plane next to stan winston or someone working at stan winston's company and came up with the mandibles for the predator uh you know because which is and, dope yeah and so uh he knows and understands like what is going to repel an audience and what is going to work with an audience. He he does yeah. think about his audience. No, I I, I a thousand percent agree. It was just another it was just another thing uh, when I was watching this thing uh, it, because because I feel like hmm. this is why I think there's so and we're, what we're doing is we're poking a lot of fun at this movie right now. Yeah. Because again, I think it's this movie is a cacophony of of almost contradictions and 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 when it's not, it's 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 heights really do bring closer to view its mm. flaws yeah because it, there are elements of this that are just the best i think that cinema like can offer at times but then it's like you'll notice other things that you're like oh but like you spent so much time paying attention to this you completely whiffed on this right. like and 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 i think that is a reason why this film is remembered for and was incredibly popular and and lucrative but did not from a story perspective make that cultural footprint yeah. the footprint that it left <laughs> was how movies are made i i think i think you're right there which is that the transformation both ushered in the wake of like um uh, the 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 proliferation of 3D, you know, to the point where everyone saw how much money Avatar made as a 3D movie and realized that there was like a there's an enormous upsell that was available here, and so you know, the, if you recall, there was this um, big push to like post convert movies into 3D as well, oh, so movies fuck. that were being shot. Uh, post-converting to 3D with usually pretty disastrous results. Yeah, it sucked. Uh, uh, you have to remember. Cameron employed the 3D really well here in almost sort of Wizard of Oz kind of sense, which is that it worked when we were looking at things that that you know warranted 3D. And the he went the 3DS route. Yeah. He went the route of because most 3D stuff at the time was making things pop out at the at the fucking audience, like a spike or some bullshit yeah. or an explosion. He made us look in yeah. to Pandora, and that makes you feel more immersed than fucking wacky balls flying at your head. Yeah. Like, it's 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 just better. He's, um, he's, I mean, look, is it go without, does it go without saying that, like, he's one of the great technologists of cinema? Oh, not, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But my, my point is this. Everyone talks about, oh, no cultural footprint, no cultural footprint. And I think even in my youth, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. But now having reviewed what, even watching a shit ton of movies and reviewing 397 at this point, 98, um, uh, on this show, like you can see the shadow of Avatar. Avatar is that giant bird that Jake Sully easily straddles. Yeah. Um, over the entirety of how mainstream, big budget blockbuster Hollywood cinema is made, like it's all here. Everyone's trying to replicate it, and I'm sorry if everyone's trying to replicate the the thing you did and the success. There is in no fucking way that it didn't have a cultural footprint. But but like, but the difference with being, of course, is that um, the we 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 measure cultural footprints by the way in which they proliferate our everyday vernacular. And so if we think about the fact that, like for example, Halloween is coming up. It is going to be commonplace to see many people wandering around in Marvel costumes. It is not going to be commonplace to see anyone wandering around as a Navi. 
Sure, right? but I would I would argue that we're talking about sort of pop culture re- relevance yeah. versus uh, things that move the needle of how culture is formed. Of course, there's like the- it's one step. It's it's one step above. The sort of the sort of like, ooh, can you remember who what Sigourney's Weaver character's name is? Yeah. Like, I know Pepper Potts, but I have no idea until I read it right now that she's Dr. Grace Augustine. Yeah. Like, but I, like my point is, yes, of course, I'm not trying to rose glasses avatar. The story is milk toast and boring and would fail entirely if not for the wonderful technology at play. Right. Uh, and therefore, the characters are not memorable outside of Jake Sully being just a doofus. <laughs> um, and, well, and, and to be honest, uh, Natiri is memorable, just but she's also very tropish. But it's not yeah. like something; it doesn't feel something new. It's just a thing performed incredibly well with yeah. with fascinating and wonderful technology. The, it, like, of course, this thing didn't like no no one's cosplaying as Trudy uh, Shakan. Yeah. Like no one's no one's fucking uh, getting their sick uh, Norm Spellman outfit on and going to Comic Con. Like like these aren't these aren't characters so much as tropes, and those already existed in the public lexicon, and they borrowed them for this movie. Uh, but uh, th- again, I go back to sure th- that did not affect us at all, like Marvel did. Yeah, and and but Marvel. The way Marvel makes movies and the way that they the technology that they try to implement and the things they try to do would not exist in the way it does had Avatar not been a financial success. Yeah, of course. Like, There's so much yeah. we owe to the success of Avatar. And, it, you know, look, I, I will also say, um, you know, despite the sort of um, the things that I'm sort of leveling at Avatar in terms of like there's a reason why people made fun of it, you know, and yeah. it's, it, because it came with, it, it, it announced itself with a huge horn and then its actual story was just like, you know, eh, yeah, okay. Jamie uh, and I were laughing at it all night. Of course. Night. Yeah. It, and, and, you know, fair enough. Um, but, but I also would never bet against James Cameron. I would just, you know, like no. look at Terminator 2, look at Aliens, look at The Abyss, look at Titanic. I would never bet against this guy to one-up himself in every way um and hopefully in, in a story sense maybe that's what that's what's taken 12 years uh since the since the last one um and you know uh, there's of course the great uh the great moment at the at the academy awards where um you know uh his pre his ex-partner Catherine Bigelow wins for best director and for best picture for the Hurt Locker mm-hmm. against you know and and the the you know the Hurt Locker at that point was one of the lowest grossing best off uh, best picture winners against Avatar this behemoth uh that comes in um you know into the awards um and you know for better or worse, Avatar is part of the cultural footprint that makes up what what predominantly works in cinemas today. And I will say, in that respect, Avatar is also a lot more thoughtful than the movies that like make up the glut of what we go see today. You know, like their action movies are fairly forgettable and 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 somewhat undazzling these days. Avatar, even today, even twelve years on, still dazzles and still wows you with the kind of the the level of expertise and craft that has been put into every frame specificity specificity and attention to detail yeah because you don't get that in the in other places often like you can tell this is a world that james cameron and team truly gave a shit about beyond that they wanted to live in it and they wanted to they wanted to transport people to it i don't think when in shang chi they really wanted to transport us into wherever the fuck that place was in the third act. I think they had a green screen lot and they had some cool graphics they were going to throw on. It. I, it like also there feels there like is worlds, a difference. Th- those worlds are also 
um, developed as the movie is being made. Whereas this is th- this feels like a world that was fully developed. Um, Yes. For the purpose of telling this particular story. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, like, I, I think the thing is that that's hinted here, you know, in, in a weird way as well, like, if you think about what Star Wars does, um, uh, you know, Star- what it did or what it's doing. Or, There's no, a lot Star- of Star Wars, Wars talk the, the, going the, on the, right now. The, for, uh, the New Hope. Uh, a New Hope. Oh, okay. You know, in the way in which A New Hope kind of like suggests at the periphery that there are these characters and worlds outside of what we have just seen. You know, like. And someone, now we're going to get a series about every one of them. And now you're going to get every single one of them. You know, at the at the corner of this movie, it's very sort of mentioned very sort of. Um, very quickly, and it doesn't really carry a lot of weight. But there's this idea that there are many tribes out there, and each of those tribes has a different identity: the horse riders, the flyers, and we presume that there will be uh, water riders or something like that in the in in the sequel coming up. Um, you know, I will the, say the tribes, the tribes, just not. To, it doesn't. Not ma- to, it doesn't matter in the movie. They just sort of like storm in, and then you're like, which one? Who's I, who? And what's I don't. Doing what? I don't think they developed the political structure of the Navi well, I, or the, the how it works in the world. I think the world itself as a bioorganism and how it all lives off of itself and all that is very fascinating. But like that's like. Well, then there's the West Navi, yeah. and oh, these ones fly more, and these ones ride horses more, and I'm like, fuck you, <laughs> yeah, it's just, like it, it, it's just. But don't worry, Jake, Jake Sully, the white dude cosplaying as an alien, is gonna get everyone to come together, <laughs> and it's like, okay, you know, you know, the moment right. that really just like had me uh, howling uh, was uh, Michelle Rodriguez's, uh, her chopper at the end is face painted. You know, like she face paints herself, and the and for some reason the chopper is face painted, yep. and yep. I was like, "What? What? What just? What just happened here? Who did that? <laughs> Who knew which was the correct signs to put on? Like, did you just think like, oh, these are pretty colors? Like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Side note: Can we talk? I want to go back to the first tree burning. Okay, because there's two trees, right? And I didn't remember this. Okay, so there's the there's the home tree, which is where they live, right? And then there is the the tree of souls. Which one had the unobtainium underneath it? The home tree, which means that so, the, the so mission is why, accomplished. <laughs> yeah, so why are they attacking the soul tree? Now, they attack the soul tree first, right? Because that's where no. Jake and Natiri... No. No, remember, Jake and Natiri are like making sweet, sweet love underneath those soul trees. Nope. No, no, no. no, no not, attack- the, 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 not the center soul tree, but like something like the other. There's like a few dangling USB listen, cords somewhere. Listen to me. <laughs> I'm saying the first one they attack, I assume, is their house. And when they're talking on the map, they're saying that the unobtainium is under the home tree or whatever. And they need to get them to move and they can't convince them to move. So they bomb it and they burn it down. And that's that. I'm not talking about like they're I'm taking when you're talking about when they when they fuck and then he doesn't wake up. And then uh, the 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 tree harvesters are coming. That's just for lumber and shit. They're just just, taking resources at that point. They're just on their way to the two. Yeah, the two attacks. Yeah. So the home tree blows up, and then they get all the unobtainium or whatever. Like, here's the question. So there's two reasons, and I actually don't know the answer. Email us in, onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. So either unobtainium is under home tree, and they need to get the people off there and uh, and so they can get the unobtainium, and then that would mean the second attack would be absolutely meaningless. Or yeah. unobtainium is under soul tree, <laughs> 
and they're not there on the regular basis and they'd just be able to take it anyway and so they go to the other tree to piss them off like i don't i don't understand it's, it's, it I, there's something missing and i don't know what i'm what i'm not getting i mean like he's like you say the the villains are comically villainous in this movie you know like there there's a silliness to it uh, where there's no like rhyme or reason to what they're doing and they're like they're so um you know they're on an alien planet and there's, you know, like, and we've established at the beginning that it's taken them so long to get to this alien planet. Like, Jake Sully is, in, like, in hibernation for, like, three years or something in order to arrive Five here. years, yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, and they've developed this technology which allows them to portal into another human being, into another creature whom they have grown themselves. And yet their approach to actually, like, gathering the unobtainium is just to use, like, you know, to, to borrow from Keanu, like guns, lots of guns, they just blow shit up. You know, yeah. like, like you're sort of like, what was the thinking? Like, is Adamtanium that valuable that like, we're going to pretend to do the science and then just blow it up? I don't, I mean, look, that's not untrue to the history of colonization in the Western no, world. No, it's very true. Um, but it's, it's, it reads silly in this movie. And, and like, again, Giovanni Urbisi, Poor fucking guy. Like, I really like him. I really like him as an actor. But it's like, he's just delivering, like, almost mustache-twirling sort of villainous. And Stephen Lang... At least Stephen Lang chews the scenery. You know, like, yeah. at least at least he actually kind of, like, eats it up. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a rough ride. And, and, like, I will say this. The ride at, at, his, at Animal Kingdom is really good. The ride at I've Animal not been King- on the ride at Animal Kingdom. It's yeah. really, really good. It's really, 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 really well designed. Um, Look, I think there is love here. Oh, of course. This of course. is a this is a project and a franchise and a film that is 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 pulled together by James Cameron's just pure drive and love for this world that he and his team have created. Yeah. Um, what I hope. And uh, with uh, adding a second writer to Avatar The Way of Water in the shoes of Josh Friedman um, is that since James Cameron will probably be paying a lot of attention to the technical aspects of the film, maybe there's some more care given to the writing of the film, especially with the criticism and the the non-pop culture footprint of the thing and all that jazz, uh, that maybe this one will be... Uh, they'll take care of that glaring flaw. Yeah. Uh, because if you're going to do this, if you're going to do all this work, you can't want people to pick apart like the your obvious bullshit. You have to make sure there's the least amount of bullshit. Yeah. And, and we are also in a different place culturally than we were in 2009, where I think we're much more sensitive to that now um yeah so i uh you know look as far as i understand it there was a writer's room for the next avatar movies and they you know look there's four movies actually being uh worked on um uh concurrently so uh what that results in you know and, and and i think cameron himself has kind of described it as like not sequelizing it in a way that um just expands the thrills but like deepens the mythology like the godfather does and you know i think the godfather part two is what he's talking about there i sure. you know look uh he's got a lot of legwork to to actually do to in order to to um pull that off the, but if someone's gonna do it if someone's gonna do it i like you said despite uh my my, my problem here is is that uh, as far as james cameron goes um 
there are bitter James Cameron movies. There are, you know, like there's at least four of them. Um, but you know what's interesting? I don't know if there's one he loves as much. No, I, I, I look. I, I think if you looked at the body of James Cameron's work, I think the um, uh, his diving films are probably the ones he loves the most. Yeah. Um, you know, like Ghost of the Abyss and um, or Ghost of the Titanic. I, I think you know th- those sorts of projects are probably the ones he actually really deeply cares about. But maybe that's why you're calling everything documentaries, is because James Cameron yeah. bases all of his documentaries on titles of his movies. That's that, that is true. <laughs> I, I also do think I'm having a stroke. Um, but he, you know, look, he's. I I think also he's incredibly smart. You know, like he, you know, my, my, (laughs) the people I know that have worked with him have all said it's very difficult. It's very demanding. It's very challenging. And the issue there is that he suffers no fools. Um, You know, like uh, he just, he, he knows and understands more about your job than you ever will. If, even if you, even if he's never done it and you have done it for years, um, you know, it's, it, there's this quality to him. And I think he sort of takes that approach with writing, which is why, like a film like Titanic, in my opinion, is a film that's not built on subtlety, but it was one that is built on a really solid foundation of how do we structure a st- Like, you think about what, again, Titanic has a massive cultural footprint, not just in terms of like the, the, the weight and sheer scope of that movie and the fact that now ti- the Titanic is more often remembered, the, ti- the, 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 the disaster of the Titanic is more often remembered through the movie than the actual event itself. Um, but also, One you can witness whenever you want and one happened once. Yeah, and, 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 and I think, but even also just like the sheer genius of like fictionalizing a love story that happens on the Titanic. You know, just remember like, Michael Bay's um, Pearl Harbor, which which followed hotly in the in the footsteps of Titanic, in really trying to do the same thing. That sort of that like fictionalizing the the sort of narrative tropes that we want through the real history of events. Uh, you know, I think is something that again he's just so brilliant at kind of putting through, even though it's not built on subtlety. Um, I you know would not would not put it past him to make the world's greatest movie in Pandora um, the next time around. You know, like, I, I just think he, he certainly has the capacity. Uh, it's it's, a, I, it's an uphill battle. It is an I've uphill never battle. Been, I've never been more excited for a film I'm less excited about. Yeah, yeah. Like, like I, I know that's a contradictory statement, but I feel like in Avatar The Way of Water... It is not yeah. like I am here for it. I will see it opening weekend. Uh, but like I have no tie to the story whatsoever. Yeah, <laughs> it's a filmmaking exercise for me. It's it's and it's and it's and it's getting lost in a place. I think, again, from a video game perspective, that's something I can really I can really vibe with because that's what I want in these experiences. I want to feel like I'm there. And even last night. Watching it uh, again, uh, this 2009 film, I felt like I was there. Yeah, and, th- and, there's, and it holds there's, up. Be- yeah, yeah. I mean, it holds up in all of its, uh, you know, warts and all. Like, yeah. it, all the warts are still there. This this is not us being like, oh, my God, y'all. The, yeah. the plot and script of Avatar, wow. Um, <laughs> I just feel like there is, I guess, I guess what has happened is we do have, like, a, a sort of superhero fatigue when it comes to what what we see right now. Um, and and when we think back to a movie like uh, Avatar, we're sort of thinking back to the kind of drive and passion of a filmmaker who wanted to create something, a, a new experience for all of us. And, you know, again, 
it was a juggernaut, you know, it was a juggernaut of a movie. Um, so it's hard to kind of deny how important that was. Mm-hmm. I, I felt uh, my, my thing is that I feel the same way about it as I did when I saw it in 2009. Yeah. And in fact, revisiting it has not improved it despite the many, uh, you know, movies that have come through. I, you know, I still think it's sort of, it, it, it's weird to sort of talk about it in this way, but I guess we're talking about science fiction, but you know, Spielberg's Minority Report is a movie that I think kind of steeps itself in a in a sort of work of of um, uh, futurology mm-hmm. in the same way that that um, Avatar does and does it more successfully and much more emotionally resonant. Children of Men, you know, Alfonso Cuarón's film is a work of historical fiction or you know uh, futurology. Um, the documentary, f- documentary fiction, yeah, um, and and you know is is more successful in both creating the world and and what have you. Nobody's like creating a world like James Cameron, uh, though. Like nobody is, you know, nobody's doing that. And and for that, he sh- he should always be celebrated. But oof, like you know, when we talked about Aliens and Terminator Two, I was either going. Look at this fucking guy. Look at what this guy did. And look yeah. at how great it is compared to everything that has come since. And here's the compliment. This is not what here's I'm saying last, right now. Here's the last compliment I'm going to give this yeah. film. Sometimes on this show, dear listeners, uh, we watch a film and we get to like the half hour point of recording the podcast. And Shahir and I are just like, we've talked after the fact. We're like, oh my God, how do we keep talking about this movie? Like it's kind of done. Like we've made our points. And then sometimes we find something fun and sometimes we don't, right? Yeah. But this is a movie where I have not looked at the clock once. I blinked and we're already an hour over. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, and I'm like, holy shit, there is so much to discuss and glean and mine about Avatar. Like, there is it, it, there it's 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 too important of a beautiful kind of silly film uh that uh that it could not could not be further from not culturally relevant right uh in my opinion and again not pop culturally relevant it is it is a blank canvas on that front i'm talking about the way that movies are made and how we engage with like large action uh cgi heavy hollywood cinema yeah so yeah it's it, avatar sure is avatar it sure gonna, is avatar and we're gonna get more of it i think is, is way of the water coming up by the end of the year end of the year it'll be a december release it'll obviously play into the oscars next year um yeah it's it's, it's you know we're gonna we're whether we want it or not we're in james cameron's world and we're just observers in this whole thing um and who knows how it's gonna do i mean like you said we're it's it's not 2009 anymore this is not the same place uh the same year or time that say the black eyed peas spent 26 weeks at number one with boom boom pow and i got a feeling we have moved on i mean Uh, just just i mean look it's great the hurt locker one i think it was a terrific film um but uh man a serious man was up for best picture that year as well uh, and Inglorious Bastards. I didn't see an education, but uh, a serious man. Cy, look, Cy Abelman, for all the Cy, all my Cy heads in the house, uh, Cy Abelman made a cultural impact. He made, right. so, there's no denying Cy Abelman and his knowledge of wi- fine wines. Well, all right. Breathe. Well, there you go. <laughs> hey, everyone, this has been the only podcast about the film Avatar. Shahir, when you are not presenting Best Documentary Film at the Academy Awards, where can folks find you? You can find me fictionalizing all my words uh, at my website, www.shahirdaud.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D.com. Matt, when you are look, Googling the signs of an imminent stroke, where can people find you? 
You can find me <laughs> gently clicking away from the WebMD tab over to my website, <laughs> M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com, my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-A-Z on Instagram, or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we're doing at Extra Credits. Um, we uh, just did a uh, our So You Haven't Read series on Battle Royale. Uh, okay. the, and then we have just started our, um, our series on the Easter rising, which is a incredibly interesting and terrifying, uh, footnote, not even footnote, large note in, uh, in Irish history. So please check out those series. Um, we, we poured our heart and soul into them and we hope you enjoy them. Well, um, yeah. Uh, next week. Is what episode is it? Oh Do man, we we're up to what, we're up to three hundred ninety nine. No, is this three ninety eight? Yeah, three ninety eight. Probably. Oof. Yeah, we're we're, we're we getting up to talk there, about man. the live episode. I guess we got to plan that this week so that then next. <laughs> oh no, this is three ninety seven. Okay, great. We got three weeks then. We got we got three weeks. <laughs> we got three weeks. I, I got I I got to be honest with you. Right now, like I wake up at uh, six thirty a.m. And I go I, and I, I, I go to bed around 1 a.m. And there's never a moment within those hours where I'm not working. And it's really, like like I don't know how I'm going to get through the next three weeks. To be honest with you, like, well, well, it's gonna we're gonna do a lot of comfort films until ep 400, and then who knows what that's going to be. Um, I think maybe we should do uh, if you think this is a good idea. I'm pitching it to you right now, live on the show that I'm I could edit, but I'm not going to. Um, should we put up a poll? For like a couple dates and times that you and I are comfortable with streaming episode 400 to see how many people can can go and watch live uh, if that's something that interests them. Sure. I know it won't be like a ton of people, but I'd like to be like, oh, hey, like would 70 percent of whoever be able to do it at, you know, this time or a different time? I think that would be a, a fun exercise. To see. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, 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 I will need assistance with the actual live streaming part. And you and I look. Right before this podcast, uh, I called you and I was like, I think I'm comfortable with us being in person again. I know. Uh, and I was like- And, and I, I said, no. You said, no, fuck that. <laughs> no, I just, because my, my studio is different now no, that course, I'm a cartoon on the internet. I, and, and that it was uh, mainly because I was rushing from one place to the other and I just thought, maybe it is. But I, I have had my uh, bivalent uh, booster shot, uh, as have you, I believe. I got that one and I got the flu one. I so got all of them. I taste do the it, man. Let's make out. Yeah, let's, well, uh, well, let's okay. spin each other's mouths. No, uh, I mean, you know, oh, what well, are we going to do? Uh, and the award for most inappropriate documentary <laughs> goes to. Uh, no, we'll, we'll, we'll be back in the same room at some point. Uh, I'm wondering if y'all can tell a difference. Email us in again, onlymoviepodcast <laughs> at gmail.com when you heard episodes with us in the same what room if, versus What if we uh, have zero chemistry? In the room. Oh, I don't know. Like, like, what if we're know. sitting there going, I don't know what to say here. Listen, Shahir, you're one of my most consistent relationships, and I never see you in person. That's not true. I, we run into each other quite a bit because we, we, we live a block live away from We 100 people. meters from each other. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, I always feel your presence. Yeah, I'm always around. I'm always watching you. I am that uh, sting song, <laughs> The Police, Every Breath You Take. You, you are, you are, you are, <laughs> if, if, if my life is uh, represented by the Navi, you are Jake Sully. <laughs> Just, Can we one one last ridiculous thing about like? It's, oh God! It's All silly. right, then we're closing this off. Then we're closing this out. But like, do you think the Navi fuck with Jake's body when he's not there? <laughs> like, because he passes out for like long periods of time, and he's like with them Someone all day. Someone call that sleeping? No, no, because he he he. There, there's like mornings where he's on Navi doing something with Sigourney Weaver's character, and then just like turns back up, like. 
don't. I, if I were the Navi, I would fuck with him a lot. Like I would draw maybe little dicks on his face or something. Here's know. here's my last my last criticism of Avatar. You know when they're by the floating islands and they're all like tied together with vines and shit. Yeah. Yeah, one of those floating islands, a big rock that's not really attached to anything other than vines, <laughs> has a giant waterfall pouring out of it. Yeah. Where the fuck did that water come from, James Cameron? <laughs> oh, James. Anyway, See that's, my, that's my, that's my uh, real pissy take. <laughs> uh, everybody, please have a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you so much for... Oh, it's probably the beginning of your next week. I don't know. Just have a great time. Have a great time till we talk at you next time. Uh, and yeah, we will chat more movies then. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.